On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Not only is it good news for Iowa in the fact that these folks expect increased sales, but it's also great news in the fact that they intend to invest in their businesses in a major way in the coming quarter, and that's, that's terrific news. Iowa business and industry is expecting expanded sales in 2020, and they plan to use that new revenue expanding their physical plants and their workforce. We'll explain. And in our profile segment, we'll tell you about a company that started in the owner's home and now has the word international in its name. This is the Iowa Business Report for the fourth weekend of January 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Each quarter, the Iowa Association of Business and Industry surveys its members on items including anticipated sales, staffing size, and projected capital expenditures. And the survey numbers suggest a somewhat surprising level of growth in this first quarter of 2020. Mike Ralston is president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Well, I will say that I was surprised. I expected it to be a relatively positive response, but I was sort of blown away by the numbers. If you look at the survey numbers this time, almost 60 percent, 59 point something of the respondents say that they expect increased sales in the coming quarter. That corresponds to 47% in in, uh, historical data. So that's a significant uh, increase of almost, what, 17 percentage points. And that's literally in a quarter. It is. It is. The thing that really blew me away was there almost 80% of the respondents say that they're going to invest in some sort of capital expenditure, whether that's a physical plant expansion or a major new piece of equipment and machinery or some other thing. That's a big deal. So not only is it good news for Iowa in the fact that these folks expect increased sales, but it's also great news in the fact that they intend to invest in their businesses in a major way in the coming quarter, and that's, that's terrific news. It is one thing to invest in people and enhance the workforce, and we'll talk about that, but there's a real lasting commitment, isn't there, when a business says, we're going to add a new building, we are going to expand the physical plant. We're going to invest in equipment because that suggests, and I don't mean to be hard-hearted about it, but you can lay employees off if you need to to control costs. It's a a terrible fact of business. But if you're going to commit to that investment in building or infrastructure, that says you have long-standing confidence, does it not? You're exactly right, Jeff. If you're going to make that kind of investment, you expect and, and realize that there'll have to be a return over time. So you do it knowing that uh, we're going to make these uh, loan payments or we're going to depreciate this piece of machinery over time. You know that for you to get that return on the investment, you have to allow time to make that happen. So you're right, it is a major investment. It's something that uh, means that this business is committed to the long term. I mentioned workforce, mm-hmm. and these people are looking to hire employees to augment the existing staff. There's a caveat to that about whether you can find them, but talk, if you will, about the numbers of businesses who say, we will be investing in human capital, human workforce, in the next quarter. For as long as you and I have been talking, what's that, uh, almost 15 years, the number one issue has been uh, workforce. 
And in this latest survey, uh, well over 40% of the respondents said, we need to hire more people in the coming quarter. And so, again, that's terrific news. It means that there are good jobs uh, available out there that uh, Iowans hopefully will be able to fill right away. But there is a concern. Can they find the workers they need? If they can, will they take them away from some other manufacturer? And I think the bottom line is it's good for workers because if everybody needs you, you can command a better salary and wage. And we're seeing some of that data come up, too, that wages are increasing. In the net, that's very good for Iowa as well. We talk about how business is doing, but to that last point you made, which I think is very important to highlight, it's too simplistic to say if business does well, employees will do well. But to what you were discussing, if there is demand for workers, we're not talking about minimum wage jobs. We're talking about a competitive environment where you as an employee might be sought after. It might mean a job change, but then your now vacant job, because you worked your way up somewhere, is now open for someone else. In essence, it is a worker's market, if you will, with regard to this shortage we have of correctly trained workers. I believe that's exactly right. Again, data from Iowa State University indicates that wages are rising in Iowa. That, that cycle of entering the workforce, moving up to a better job, receiving training, moving up to an ever even better job is well underway here. I'm not aware of a single ABI member company. We have 1,500 member companies in this state. I'm not aware of a single ABI member company that pays their beginning employees anything close to the minimum wage. They're all well over the minimum wage. That doesn't mean that there aren't minimum wage jobs out there, but my point is, if you're a worker, you have an opportunity to really find a much better paying job, and one that offers other rewards too, more fulfilling, more satisfying, uh, the kinds of benefits you need to support a family, those sorts of things. And that's important to me because this is a survey of your members. And if, by definition, your members are already at above minimum wage, there's an exponential impact on the state's economy if, in fact, they're going to be investing in workforce. Well, that's 100% right. You know, we've seen that. We're going to continue to see it. And again, that's all that is is good for Iowa and good for Iowans. We've made reference to your members. Remind people, your association is what and does what? The Iowa Association of Business and Industry is Iowa's oldest and largest statewide business organization. We have members in all of Iowa's 99 counties, and those members are businesses, not individuals. We were founded 116 years ago as the Iowa Manufacturers Association, and of those uh, 1,500 members, by far the largest industry segment is still manufacturing. So um, we have representatives of all kinds of business, manufacturing, warehouse, utilities, financial institutions, insurance companies. We don't have a lot of retail. I suppose Hy-Vee would be our largest retail member, but there's a great retail federation in Iowa, and they well represent retailers. When people think of ABI, a lot of times they think of companies like John Deere or Arconic or uh, Principal Financial Group or you name it, and those are all great uh, international companies. But a typical ABI member is usually smaller, maybe a couple hundred to 300 employees. Oftentimes it's privately held. Most times it's uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, employers in a county. There are a lot of great manufacturing centers in Iowa, Waverly, Pella, I could go on and on, and we, uh, we work hard to represent those folks that make up those manufacturing centers and other businesses. And interesting, as you just said, there are a number of great manufacturing centers. You mentioned towns of less than 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. This is not just a Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Quad Cities sort of thing when we talk about manufacturing. They may not employ tens of thousands of workers at a plant, Mm -hmm. but it is a vital part of those 
individual communities and their respective health. Oh, it is. Um, in fact, most Iowa counties have at least one community that has a sizable manufacturer. And you're right, we're not talking tens of thousands, but again, we're talking about hundreds of people. And if you're located in a county of 12,000 people, that's a big deal. And uh, you'll find people that uh, commute to those jobs from outside the county that uh, uh, may end up moving to the county for this job. It's, these companies are big deals. And uh, everybody knows that Iowa's urban areas are by and large doing pretty well. Greater Des Moines, uh, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, the Quad Cities, Dubuque, uh, Cedar Rapids. Our urban centers are doing pretty well. But boy, if it weren't for these manufacturers and other businesses, rural Iowa would be in even tougher, tougher shape when it comes to economic vitality. Mike Ralston, president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. If you'd like details about their first quarter survey, go to iowaabi.org and click on the News tab. The results were posted in December 2019. Still to come, the state of American manufacturing. And you'll hear about a business designed to help other businesses and their employees reach their fullest potential. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Manufacturers in Iowa account for nearly 19% of the total output in the state, almost $36 billion in 2018 alone. Manufacturers employ more than 14% of Iowa's workforce, some 223,000 of us in the most recent reports, with an average annual compensation of more than $71,000. No wonder, then, that the president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers, Jay Timmons, came to Iowa to deliver that group's 8th Annual State of Manufacturing Address, specifically to the Vermeer Corporation in Pella. What a time to be in this great manufacturing state of Iowa. You are right at the center of the political universe. The eyes of the world are on you all once again. Iowa's going to write, as you all well know, the first draft of history on caucus night as you play your part in this great experiment of American democracy and kick off the 2020 election season. But 2020 is also a landmark year for, for manufacturers. Today, we are indeed celebrating 125 years of the National Association of Manufacturers. That relentless drive to build solutions is, is what powered manufacturing to this day, where we contribute $2.4 trillion to the U.S. economy and make up 19% of the Iowa economy. 13 million men and women making our lives possible while making their American dream a reality. Chemists and biologists at Lilly and Pfizer creating the life-saving medicines that, that heal us and protect us. Engineers at Honda and Toyota redefining mobility. Pioneers at Boeing and Lockheed preparing to take us deeper into space. Developers at Microsoft harnessing the astonishing possibilities of artificial intelligence. Technicians at Sukup building the structures that store the grain that feeds the world. 
food manufacturers at General Mills, not only producing our food, but committing to do so in ways that are even more environmentally sustainable. And dotted all across the country are the thousands of small manufacturers, creators, and inventors who are the suppliers and partners in advancing human progress. Yes, manufacturing is vastly different than it was in 1895, to say the least. With humans and robots today working alongside each other, as technology drives our fourth industrial revolution. But one thing remains the same. Manufacturing workers are the heart of a strong American economy. And you know what? We need more workers. So in this pivotal year, the NAM and the Manufacturing Institute, our workforce and education partner, were setting out on an unprecedented campaign to inspire a new generation and tell the real story of our industry. One of the biggest misperceptions is that automation is coming for our jobs, but manufacturers know the truth. Technology makes us safer. It's more effective. Some jobs are going to shift often to higher skilled, higher tech positions, but people, people will always be what makes this industry possible. Our members tell us that this is their top concern, educating Americans on these opportunities and finding workers for the hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs that are open today and the 4.6 million jobs that will be open over the coming eight years. Jay Timmons, president and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. The capital campaign he referenced is called Creators Wanted designed to support, among other things, youth engagement, the STEP Women's Initiative, and Heroes Make America, training returning service members for manufacturing jobs. If you'd like to hear the full address, you can view a video by going to the National Association of Manufacturers Facebook page. Up next, we'll introduce you to a business that provides lifelong learning and development in the workplace. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's profile segment, we'll meet Rowena Crosby, the owner of Taro International in Des Moines. It's an interpersonal skills research and corporate training company, but that's not what she thought her career would be. I'm actually from an accounting background, so I didn't go to school for adult education. And when I, when I was invited to serve in a training department, it was in the late 80s, early 90s, which is at a time when the human resources function wasn't very mature. In fact, we called it the personnel department back then. And the training function was just trying to find its place. And so I was asked with another uh, individual in our company, would we start a training company because we knew the need for ongoing education mattered. I fell in love with corporate training because it offered an opportunity to provide education in a context people could use it immediately. And we didn't line people up in seats facing forward based on chronological age, which is what we do in schools. So I absolutely loved it. And when I left a company and wanted to start a business, it seemed natural to start this company. My name's Rowena, but they call me Ro, so I'm the Ro in Tarot. My late husband's name was Ted, 
and a marketing professional that I engaged when I started the business actually ended up inventing that word. He was never involved in the business, but it stuck. And in 1995, when the Internet came into common consumption, because I started the business in 93, we had a four-letter company name and got a four-letter domain. Not very many companies can claim that. You can't do that now. You cannot do that these days. You cannot do that now. What are some things that business owners or managers, people who manage other people, what are some things that they might be able to do to break through even, if you will, the most obstinate employee? That's so true. We're all different, aren't we? Sure. You know, we sometimes are troubled by people that seem to oppose our views or when the sky is blue, it's actually a different color. We can learn a lot from those folks. So if we can take a sincere interest in people and try to find out where they're coming from and tap into their creativity, that's where you can get some of the biggest wins if they do tend to be a little bit obstinate. And they just want to get sold, and that could be a learning style. And I suppose to a large degree some people throw up the defense mechanism that if it's something new or different, they use that as a, as a coping mechanism. And, and so, again, you have to know as the manager where this resistance is coming from, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. The research on the resistance to change is pretty fascinating, and there, is dif- there are differences in how people adopt the pace of change. Jeffrey Moore famously wrote about that in his book, on the curve of the adoption of innovation or something where you've got people on the front end that are running fast and others, the laggards is what he called them, and then the rest of us are in that early or late majority. So where we fall on that bell curve matters, but actually it's a little bit of a myth that we resist change. What most of us resist is the unknown. Mm. If we're the one initiating the change, we're usually on board with it or if we had a voice in it. So in a business context, communication is really key. If people can feel valued for what they've done in the past, can see an inspiring picture of where they're going, and have a little guidance to get through that period of the unknown, most of us can successfully make that journey. We've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's the same with training. Just because a body is in a seat doesn't mean they're a willing participant. Roe Crosby says there are multiple motivators for attendees, both external and internal. External is when the employer does things, does the punishments or the rewards. Internal motivation is the more powerful one, but that comes from the inside. So leaders can't motivate people. You can't make someone want to do something. So the best thing we can do as leaders is find out what people like to do and try to align their roles inside the organization with that. In the case of presenting to an audience, it's our job as presenters to find out what's important to the people in the audience so that we can tailor our message to what matters to them. There's so many dynamics that are going on between the relationship between the audience and the presenter, plus the environment that you're in and the time of day, and are they getting frequent breaks? There's so much to think about that relates to engagement. From its start as a small business in her home in Earlham, Rowena Crosby's company now boasts 10 other trainers and consultants, offering a variety of public and private sessions for clients around the world. And over that more than a quarter century, the types of sessions they offer and the attitude of attendees has changed. 
When people came to class when I first started this business, they were often sent, and they were hostages. And they thought it was punitive, you know, I'm being sent to class to be fixed. And actually, they were right in many cases. Their managers were trying to change something about them. The new generation entering the workforce considers training and development part of their compensation, and they're demanding it, and they're eager learners. And that's a very, very different environment to work in, and it's pretty inspiring. So if a message is not correctly delivered, on whose shoulders does that fall, the trainer or the student? Crosby says at Taro, the belief is how the message is received is most important. It doesn't matter what I meant to say. It doesn't matter what I did say. The only thing that matters is what people leave with. And so that's our obligation, whether it's one-on-one or in front of a group, to try to make sure that the message that's received is the one we want. Being a training professional has a high associated with it because it's a bit of a performance art. So I think most of our trainers feel that way. But the greatest reward comes usually much later. As an external training provider, we don't know what the impact of our work is. And if years later a graduate contacts us and said, it was that training class that gave me the confidence to position myself to start this business or to accept this leadership role or to make a difference, to know that we had some little role in helping the person find the skills and confidence to do that really, really matters. Rowena Crosby, president and founder of Tarot International. As noted, online simply at tarot.com, T-E-R-O dot com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program, which will be known on this end as the one where he had a cold. Thanks for putting up with that. Next week, we'll hear how the Iowa Secretary of State's office is streamlining reports and regulations for Iowa business. And just a few days before Iowa's first-in-the-nation presidential precinct caucuses, we'll examine the economic impact of that quadrennial event. That and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with the folks you hear on this program. You'll find those as IBR Extras. And in addition to your favorite radio station each week, we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, sponsors of the Taking Care of Business Conference in Cedar Rapids in June. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.